Hi again, Nick. Hello again. Uh, uh, into the future we've already gone since our last discussion of the future. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately my program crashed yesterday. We recorded like an almost an hour and a half of audio and then Ableton crashed. So today we're back at a new new day we're going to record on and I have my Sony recorder field recorder also set up so there's no way that you can get away from me this time physics (laughs) (laughs) the future is yours or something (laughs) yeah i hope that whatever is beyond 2020 is less crashing electronics (laughs) yeah uh, that that should definitely be the future and i think people i mean to be real i think that's actually kind of what people are asking for now like um i've seen many people who are like okay new iphone's cool but like actually if they could just make the battery last longer and like the you know i don't know everything more stable or whatever then i'd be even happier like yeah i mean apple is probably one of the the best companies at doing that i feel like that's one of the reasons why they're so popular because a lot of other electronic devices seem to die within a couple of years whereas apple products seem to last for like five to ten years if you're lucky yeah, they definitely do seem to last longer. And I think, yeah, there's so much to be said about stability and, like, people experiencing stability. Um, that was a that was a big thing, actually, at the last company that I worked at was, like, it, we work in this, like, really highly technical research field, and a lot of people put out these really kind of, like, janky pieces of research equipment <laughs> and sell them. Um, and I think we really kind of, like, made a name for ourselves by ensuring that our stuff just, like, worked. It was all about, like this thing will work reliably for you. Hmm. I mean, that's a good selling point. I, I feel like that's enough of a selling point for electronics for me a lot of the time. If I'm frustrated with something, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I just want something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in fact... It's one of the nice things about those handy recorders. They just always work. Yeah, it's true, because they only have one function. I think the less things that, that your whatever can do, the better off it's going to be in handling that task efficiently and correctly forever (laughs) yes this is why i guess gaming consoles are like known to never crash for the most part like i don't know when's the last time you played a nintendo console and it just crashed during the middle of your game not very often oh yeah seriously (laughs) no (laughs) the only game that i've ever had crash on a console like in like a true like wow this is broken kind of way was a skyrim on ps3 or something um yeah there was some sort of issue with my game where it's like if i ever entered like water (laughs) the game would just like effectively like blue screen my playstation oh i actually that yeah i've had similar things happen i remember in middle school i was playing the star wars coder that like rpg adventure game and whenever whenever i got to this almost the end boss at this one part it would freeze i thought it was the game so i went back and got a new disc and it didn't work and i then uh, tom camargo's my friend's brother wanted to play it and he was older than us and he was always beating us up so i was like yeah you can borrow it and uh i think he borrowed my xbox in the game or something and then he got to that same point and it froze (laughs) he was so angry Uh, yeah. So anyway, stability, uh, and maybe we should do a quick recap of what we, t- we kind of talked about. Cause there were some really interesting points and then we can just go through those. You brought up that neuroscience is being invaded by drug companies. It's not exactly how you said it. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So the the context was um, I felt very uh, future inspired because uh, the day before I had just come from a conference on the future of neurotechnology. So it's called the Neurotech Leaders Forum, and it's like 50 of the top executives from um, neurotech companies around the world. And so uh, we each kind of spoke about where we saw the field heading and kind of the future of our specific company and the industry. And one of the specific exercises we did was looking five years into the future, what is the neurotech industry going to look like? And one of the interesting predictions that came from quite a few people that we generally agreed on is that it's going to have more involvement from the pharmaceutical industry. Because right now, um, effectively, the neurotech industry is kind of like a disruptor to the pharmaceutical industry. So there's this whole, like, uh, I would say, kind of revolution called bioelectric medicine, which is, okay, instead of using a pharmaceutical and kind of like flooding my whole system with a given compound and trying to affect certain chemical targets that are throughout my body, I can instead now take a stimulator and put it into a nerve that controls the function of that organ. So it's like if I have diabetes or whatever, I can put a stimulator in and like stimulate my whatever pancreas to produce additional insulin and like now i don't have diabetes anymore well um so that's kind of like the effect i guess i would say and so pharmaceutical companies are looking at that and they're like hey (laughs) that's our stuff (laughs) and so i think they're starting to either um adopt neurotech companies either potentially to eliminate them or to integrate them um and there's, there's some sorts of neurotech that kind of play nicely with pharmaceuticals. So one of the future techs we kind of talked about was ultrasound stimulation of the blood-brain barrier to open it up in specific targets within, within the brain, uh, which we actually talked about during our, our drug episode as well. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is obviously a great kind of like interplay with pharmaceuticals where they can start using that. And so effectively what we're seeing now is uh, specific pharmaceutical companies are starting to invest in neurotech companies or acquire neurotech companies. And so we think that trend will continue. I didn't realize that uh, you could control organs like more specifically. I didn't, we didn't talk about that so much uh, or I, did, I don't remember it anyway. Is that becoming, is that like the future? Is that, that going to be what we're, we're going to aim more Toward is trying to yeah. outreach instead of just affecting the way that the brain works internally. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that's actually probably the bigger and more immediate future of like neurotechnology. Um, so I've mentioned that there's a lot of big tech companies that have interest in neurotechnology, and uh, obviously some of them pursue it from multiple directions. But Google's big project was a a dual project with a pharmaceutical company, so GlaxoSmithKline or GSK. And Google together produced a company called Galvani. Well, eh, it's a joint venture thing. Mm-hmm. And their whole that's their whole premise is like, okay, we're just going to modify organ function through stimulating like peripheral nerves. Well, I wonder if, yeah, what, how far can that go? I actually, that's one of the places that I feel like I, I don't have enough creative understanding to just start blowing out ideas because all of my ideas <laughs> would probably be far-fetched and not possible (laughs) yeah um i think it really i mean it really depends on like the disease and disorder there's like some disease and disorders where that's like really well catered to and that somewhere it's not um of course one of the interesting things that you see you can also like if you're modifying hormones in the body um 
or if you're modifying neurons that go back up to the brain, you can also kind of control brain function through peripheral nerve stimulation. So mm. there's examples of people stimulating um, peripheral nerves to like uh, lead to additional acetylcholine production in the brain and help with things like dementia. Um, so uh, you can also, yeah, there's all sorts of options, I guess. But you're almost turning your organs into another regulator in a way or, or, or an enabler or whatever. That's that's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it basically it boils down to like if your organ is somehow dysregulated, then you can try to regulate it either through pharmaceutical right by like increasing the free production of whatever that organ produces or like blocking something that it inhibits that organ. Or you can take a neurostimulator and stimulate the nerves that control that organ and get the organ to do what you want. That's really cool. That would wouldn't that also mean that we could potentially use organs outside of a brain uh, relationship? Like we could probably find a way to simulate them if we studied more about how the, if we know enough about how to send a signal to make something happen, we might be able to emulate an environment where we can make that organ produce its function or do something. Like, I'm just wondering if there's some weird, (laughs) this is getting, this is going to be really weird and creepy, but I just think about like, if you could produce insulin on this like organ that you hang out and like you put an organ in your bag and your backpack and it just creates insulin and pumps it into your body. It's like, you know, it's another <laughs> organ that, that you attach to your body somehow, but in a weird way. I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Extra organs. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I think you could do that. Like basically s- stimulate and control an organ, like isolated. We actually do it sometimes with brain parts too. Like, um, <laughs> there's this kind of creepy field of neuroscience where uh, some people go in. So if you have epilepsy, you'll go in sometimes to a hospital to get surgery to remove the epileptic part of your brain, and so they remove a little chunk of brain. Um, but that chunk can still live for a while, and so some researchers are very intrigued by that, and so they like take those chunks and like run them over to their lab oh. and like stimulate no. them and like investigate no. them. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That. <laughs> should definitely not be legal or something that's so weird what if they only took the part the like main conscious part of you and you just had like no interactions but them you know there's you think that you're them all of a sudden whoa frontal cortex like i'm having a conversation with somebody well i it's only the frontal cortex am i talking to myself who are you who am i what's going on here (laughs) i don't like that oh yeah that it's it's in the future. It's not far away. <laughs> yeah, this is this is all five year stuff we were talking about. So yeah, right, this is this is real stuff. Oh wow, there's so many things. I I feel like I probably I don't know if it, if I bore you, but I just have so many questions about neuroscience, Nick. Maybe we can just like do a special episode <laughs> where I just ask you questions for two hours. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, but anyway, the the point for what we talked about last time, I think was that it could be dangerous also that the drug companies could come in and, and start trying to have corruption and bad influence into neuroscience fields that are usually trying to, to cure things and solve problems and help people with diseases. But now it might just be that they're trying to suck the money out of everyone who's disabled, which seems to be what they're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a little bit scary. I mean, pharmaceutical companies are kind of known for their corruption which is an odd comment to make right now as we're getting like a worldwide vaccine distribution from a couple of them but um they were forced uh, yeah i mean 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely known for that, and so it's a little bit scary to think of them kind of meddling in it, and especially when I think neuroscientists are like these like it's such an infant field. They're kind of like pure scientists in a way. They're just like really like curious about a lot of this stuff, and they're they're really not very good at commercializing their technology, and so having a kind of like a greedy, potentially corrupt. Uh, organization come in and meddle with it is a little bit scary. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, as long as the as long as the neuroscience companies are sort of leading the way and making more of the decisions and the moral calls up front, uh, and they're just getting more investment rather than it being a more more of like a board member of people on the other side at the at the pharmaceutical companies calling the shots, we'll be okay. I hope that's how it plays yeah. out. <laughs> yeah hopefully is how it works um, it, um i was also thinking I, we were talking about last time that uh autonomous drones might or not just drones but like autonomous robotics dogs whatever delivery units however whatever happens um could potentially become a big thing very soon if we can get their general intelligence high enough that they can survive by like understanding enough of the risks and the world and the environment and like how to recharge or repair self-repair um right. and i was thinking about this even more after after yesterday and i i know that i've talked about how i have this vision that the future of robotics and uh computers and, and software are going to be run on biological systems more so than on oh, right. like hard mm-hmm. hard electronic systems we have now on silicone so that made me think that actually probably one of the better solutions for that solving system might be to implement some kind of a, a wetware biological like pseudo brain or maybe actual brain i don't know that we grow that uh links in with this kind of harder exoskeleton software hardware relationship and then that can kind of mend and change as well using the biology when it needs to and then not when it doesn't so it can have like a hard skeleton or maybe an outer skeleton and then it can have some like softer repairable areas that are biological and so there would be this really strange relationship between the two but the biological part would be better at solving problems because it would understand that symbiosis of like living inside and outside at the same time and how the environment interacts with it by reading it better because mm-hmm. right now sensors That's... and robotics can't read very well they have like very limited capacities right Right. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, like, I feel like that's kind of like every neuroscientist, like, weird dream, right? It's like a, <laughs> some sort of cyborg <laughs> intelligent <laughs> robot thing. <laughs> Why can't I just have a child? I'll name him Timmy and he'll be made from <laughs> from leftover goo in my brain and <laughs> some leftover microchips I had from last week's computer teardown. Yes, everyone's dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it is an interesting thing to think about. But yeah, I, I definitely, well, that's where our conversation definitely went was into this idea of like more autonomous robotics, I guess, like things that kind of like service and maintain themselves, but also provide services, <laughs> I guess, for the world of some kind. Yeah. And then, of course, we kind of like transitioned that into drones specifically. Um Unmanned aerial craft, I guess, is maybe like the better word, since we spent also some time talking about um, uh, Google X-Wing or whatever, and they're like in 
in-building delivery and Amazon uh, drones, uh, which we didn't get too far into. But And commercial drones you can uh, buy and fly now that are really small, lightweight, quiet, and can uh, go yeah. 10 kilometers away, 20 kilometers away. Potentially, you can GPS into some of these bigger drones too, but I'm sure that's illegal unless you work for the government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't stop thinking about wanting to own a drone now, though, after yesterday's conversation. I'm, and a helicopter, which was also part of the conversation. Yeah, I stayed up like half the night watching more videos about getting a license and buying a helicopter. And I learned a lot, actually. I, so the, the Robinson R-22 and R-44 helicopters are like the main commercial helicopters. They're those big bubble mm-hmm. screened helicopters you see. There's one in the MoMA, the two-person one, which is the, the smallest, cheapest commercial helicopter in production from what I understand. Okay. Um, and so you can get most countries, you can either get a personal license or a commercial license or like a heavyweight extreme commercial license. Uh, in the U S you have to get your personal license before you can get your commercial. But in most other countries you can choose which one and you'd kind of do either or when you do the lessons. Mm. So, uh, you can do the, like 45 hours flight time, uh, plus this like written studied test, uh, which takes between one and three months usually that's for the personal license and then the commercial license can take up to 10 10 months but could be done in like three to four months if you were really quick about it and that's 110 ish hours usually of flight time that you need um but the way that you fly a helicopter is so different than what i thought it would be because normally Mm -hmm. when you're flying like a, a fixed wing plane or something you have uh, all all the gauges and everything is reading, but you're kind of just using a control and letting it go. Like you're not constantly like changing the rudder in the back and trying to make sure that you're you're pitched perfectly and that you're not wobbling in the wind or whatever. Because the, either the there's a computer handling that, or there's just like automatic systems that that handle that from the gauges or something, and it's not as prevalent. But in a helicopter, uh, you're controlling three different things constantly like you're you are fighting and Mm. controlling and and using all of that constantly so your brain is the computer it's really weird that they haven't automated this in commercial uh helicopters maybe they've done it in other ones i don't know i've I've not looked into those but yeah you've got two foot pedals which uh Mm. there's like that back long part of the helicopter that has a little back rotor that just makes it rotate Mm -hmm. left and right so you're in order to fight the propellers spinning one direction and pushing the helicopter to spin the other direction, which is what would happen if you didn't have that back prop, uh, you have to you have to manually with your feet keep your your helicopter pointing the direction you want or straight by fighting the wind all the time. So you are constantly mm. fighting to make that go straight. So that's that's one thing you're focused on. Second thing you're focused on okay. is um, the up and down, which is just a simple lever that looks like a handbrake next to you. And that just literally yep. lifts the helicopter up higher or down lower. But you set that at a different different point, right? So you're constantly adjusting that as well. Um, yep. And then last, you have this really strange three-dimensional handlebar stick. Um, yeah. And that part is, the is I think, the craziest one. Because already you have those other two things constantly going. And then this is like... Are you tilting it forward to go forward or backward to go back, but also left and right? But there's like three-dimensional space here, right? So you can move it basically in any direction. Yeah. And that is bizarre because you have to keep that in mind. Like, do you want to go forward and turn right at the same time? And what kind of a combination of those do you want, for example? Yeah. And then if you're going forward and right, you might start pitching and like, you know, flying a little bit down. So then like, how do you want to adjust flying at a 45 or like a, a 
10 degree angle while also putting thrust to go up, then you're not going to be going straight up anymore, right? You're going to be going up and to the right. You'd be going. (laughs) And then also you've got to keep your tail in the direction you want it to go with your feet while all this is happening. And there's all these gauges to read at the same time about what's going on everywhere else and the wind speed and everything else. It's like, wow, you have to, this is probably why flying a helicopter is considered a little bit more dangerous than a fixed plane, but there's really not that many helicopter pilots, like especially commercial, uh, personal ones. Yeah. So the statistics are pretty skewed because of that. And also like there's been quite a few fuel line failures and stuff like that and crashes they found, um, because of some older helicopter models didn't have things that were, uh, the way that they should have been for how the fuel line was connected, I guess. Mm. So yeah, lots of stuff. And I guess, meanwhile, drones are just, like, automating all of that, yeah. right? Like, effectively. Like, especially, like, because uh, there's two types of drone flying, right? There's, like, a fixed, what is it called? Fixed head or something, and then unfixed head. I can't remember. But it, it effectively means, like, is the point of reference for turning the drone right or left, like, your body or the drone's body? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is kind of an interesting concept. But uh, they manage all of that really well. And, like, you can see the level of control they have over, like, their their pitch and yaw and whatever else, like, their their navigation in 3D space because you can see those cool, like, drone displays that people make. Well, it's a much, you know, like, floating drones. Yeah, exactly. It's a much smarter system to have four propellers that are pushing air in different directions and can just, like, automatically adjust minutely instead of having one prop a big heavy vehicle and like it's all up to you to try to make that thing swing in the direction you need to um but there's lots of other cool things that helicopters can do too that not everything can do such as if you have an engine failure um you can actually just drift back down to earth but you still have to control it the helicopter in a certain way to make sure that everything goes how it should but yeah you can run out of fuel there's absolutely no power going into your prop and uh, you effectively spin like those uh, seed leaves from the trees spin as they're mm-hmm. coming down to earth. Um, so you have to you have to maintain a certain level of of like that spin from different angles and making sure that everything's falling correctly. And then you can glide perfectly uh, down to earth and land. And like helicopter pilots practice this all the time. It's a very normal thing to do in case that happens. But if you screw up and your prop stops spinning at any point, like if you miss anything, you're you're guaranteed going to die. Like there's just no coming back from it. So <laughs> that's also really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. And fun. Yeah, I really want to fly a helicopter now, which I'm going to do because you can, you can take a test flight. Anybody can uh, by going to a flight school and just paying about $300. And then they'll go up with you and... You'll take the controls usually for a little bit of the flight. Uh, of course, they're there to take over, just like driver's ed. <laughs> but um, yeah. just if you want to get a feeling of if you want to go to get a license or not. But yeah, then there's all these cool helicopters you could buy and just take wherever you want. It was way there's way less regulations than I thought. Like you can just own a helicopter, <laughs> you can keep it in your yard, and then you can just take off and go wherever you want. For the most part, like there are not a lot of no fly zones out there, surprisingly. I'm just like imagining a helicopter in my like townhome complex, just like <laughs> in my parking spot, just like <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we were also thinking the future of travel or like commute could potentially be air taxis, right? But for some reason that right. that's not, I mean, a lot of people are against it. 
but it would solve a lot of problems. Bottlenecks, like it's much faster, it's cheaper if they're automated. Yeah, and it's easier to navigate. I mean, like navigating 3D space and only having to identify other aircraft as like your main thing is so much easier than having to like have a self-driving car that identifies like road hazards and closed roads and like pedestrians walking through them and like random pieces of trash and like whatever else can happen on the road. Yeah, and guaranteed a computer <laughs> um, can look at all of that much faster than a human can, as we've seen from yeah. self-driving cars, I think have proven at least that they're able to read certain things faster than humans and computing power is just increasing. Oh, so. yeah. For sure, yeah, and that, and then of course the like routes to navigate in three D space are unlimited, so it's like object or like avoidance, collision avoidance is so much easier than <laughs> the road, where it's like sometimes the whole that's the whole like discussion, right? Self driving cars, like the ethical dilemma is like okay, imagine the car is about to hit a pedestrian, so either it can choose between hitting that pedestrian or veering onto the sidewalk and hitting a different pedestrian. Which choice does it choose if that's like the only options available to it? Right. And then maybe there's a third option of like kill driver and go off other side of road. <laughs> yeah, off the cliff or something. <laughs> but it will never pick that one because you paid to own it. You are its master. It can't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I remember last time I got uh, discussing self-driving cars with a bunch of uh, Facebook engineers who like live in San Francisco and just like live the techie life. And um, I was like sitting there pondering. I'm like, well, what's the deal? Like obviously different self-driving car brands are going to have like different software that like make slightly different choices or maybe even like is better, but it's like a safety feature. That's like kind of like this ethical question again, back to the, like, which person do you kill? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and it's like, we're kind of weird to think that like different models could have different software and that you're kind of like choosing between software on top of just like, you know, vehicle quality or amenities. Yeah. Um, that's true. I also think, though, that the that this whole hypothetical question is completely overblown in the fact that, like, A, that situation's almost never going to come up. B, a human being that gets in that situation will probably end up killing more people than the, than the, the robot car would have. Yeah, they'll hit both pedestrians and roll their car. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and C, like, the chances of the, of the computer deciding that those two things would happen at the same time and it had to make a choice in the first place is probably almost nothing like there one's going to come before the other one will be a a consequence of the first decision it won't be like oh which one do i choose on this path of a or b i'm a computer and i can only think in a and b no no no. the computer is looking at like a trillion possibilities constantly all the time it's not going to get stuck between two huge existential questions (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true um but i do think the lesson is either way that air autonomous air travel is simpler than autonomous ground travel yeah in many ways um which is of course why like the amazon drones are an attractive option versus like amazon self-driving cars and therefore it's also kind of interesting that companies like uber are pursuing self-driving cars so much when it's like maybe air taxi is like the simpler route to market besides the air regulations but i think uh i think it comes down to people's like fear of flying in a way like the compounding risk levels that they feel from that they're like they're already scared of self-driving vehicles and then they're scared of airplanes and like you stack those and it seems really scary yeah i mean right now it's a it's a really weird one right because driving in a car is more dangerous than uh taking a commercial flight but like flying a helicopter is technically quite a bit more dangerous not like that much necessarily but it's a bit more dangerous than driving a car so there's mm-hmm. there's kind of this in-between zone of 
being more culturally comfortable with a car than with a flying ride or aircraft. And Mm -hmm. then you have regulations and laws to overcome that are like probably huge boundaries that make it much more difficult. So I would imagine from a business standpoint, like yeah. if you're if you're doing a risk analysis, you would choose the the, the more accepted option just for that risk difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I guess kind of like we were talking about though, uh, if there, there's so much human work that goes into regulating flights that if flights became more autonomous, I wonder if that would make all of it less regulated and kind of more accessible. Like you'd have this kind of like stacking momentum effect. Yeah. But you'd have to get to a lot of autonomous flights to get to that point, I think. Or just have such a population that the demand for people to not be sitting in traffic for four hours of their day is like high enough that they would happily take that risk, which could happen very easily as well. Yeah, maybe if we get more city concentration. But one of the other things we talked about last time was the eventual leveling off of the population. Right, yes. <laughs> 11 billion will, uh, should be the cap, according to many studies. Yeah, and and hit relatively soon. So even though like we're at 7.6 billion now, the uh, estimate is set 11 billion and leveling off the population by 2100, which means theoretically we could see it within our lifetimes. Yeah, well, almost... Yeah, I, I think we will. Um, I thought for sure we were over eight. Like, I, I don't know how it could be so off about population counts, but I always feel like we have more people on Earth than we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that also there's going to be so many people soon that we... I mean, that we're already at the point, I guess, where you just you can't fathom the number and also the, the increase doesn't matter anymore because there's just so many people that... Um, it won't, it won't, there's no more personal impact. Like we're past the point of personal impact. So you have to study and care about the macro of things in order to even have this be consequential or, or have any meaning to you. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's generally true though. I think the one place where people probably see like immediate personal impact is like small to medium sized metropolitan areas. Because as population grows, those like, let's say New York is overcrowded, people will start looking to like increase the size of those like small to medium metropolitan areas. And we're seeing that, for example, in Salt Lake City, where it's like increased population and a movement of people within the U.S. from one location to another is seeing like a drastic increase in population in this specific metropolitan area. And it's causing pretty significant like lifestyle changes for people here. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. So... Do you think that the future is going to be like a better place with more people because we're going to have to solve more problems or is it just going to be a a race for resources? <laughs> I think uh I think more people does create a resource strain. Like as an example, like the the world I don't think it would be very sustainable for the entire world to live how I do, for example, or people in the U.S. do in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think it would be, I think think it's definitely a resource issue. Now, one of the things we talked about, though, of the benefit of the population cap is, like, eventually well, there's certain problems we don't have to pay as much attention to anymore. 
So resource distributions will still be one that continues, but like total amount of resources and like how do we scale up farming and like, you know, how do we make sure we have enough homes for everybody or whatever um, in a hundred years, maybe something we don't have to think about as much as like a civilization anymore. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll mean that we can focus on other problems. So maybe even though there will be more problems with more people, we'll be have more time for them. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. That's that, that that's kind of the dream of, uh, yeah, implementing UBI and like having people have free time to do whatever they want, right? And then mm -hmm. hopefully being passionate about wanting to help and solve problems instead of just wanting to, to play video games all day by planting their neurochip into their forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, how about we do this, Nick? This this could be fun. Why don't we make um, three future predictions each about what we think the biggest changes in the world are going to be uh, over the like the coming, I don't know, within the coming century, wherever you want that timeline okay. to go. So, so, by, so by 2100 or something? Yeah. yeah, we'll say that. Okay. I predict the world will hit 11 billion. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. Yeah, don't cite any papers um, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so three, three, three big changes are kind of like visions of the future. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think medicine in general is going to be, like, way, way, way advanced. Uh, beyond where it is now which is like saying something because i think we have some really fancy things right now but i think the the kind of like standard of care we have now will be bumped up even further and be distributed like more widely um, i think there's going to be like a general push towards like not having mm -hmm. such a class divide over like healthcare, and there will be more of these kind of like very high-tech therapies available to everybody that's my hope and also i think an actual <laughs> potential future. Um, and a, that's a pretty broad statement, but I think it'll, it'll really get to the point that like, for the most part, like general, like bodily dysfunction, kind of like physical ailments will not be so much of an issue in the future. That'd be great. I really hope that happens. I, I, if it seems strange that we're even fighting our biology anymore at this point, I guess we're on the cusp of maybe getting past it, but it's really hard to say still. Yeah. I think there's just so many fronts that we're fighting it on. And there's like so many technologies that are working their way into medicine that are just like so advanced, like talking about like 3d printing organs and like, you know, CRISPR and genetic control and like removal of genetic ailments. And then like these things like kind of converge into like, I think together they'll just create, yeah, a very, a very, uh, easy and like scalable treatment options for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think that, um, one of my predictions kind of falls in line with that, but it's more of a byproduct. So I think that we will, I'm not, not necessarily that we will reach general artificial intelligence, but I do think that we will get to a point where computers and specifically, I think quantum computers will be able to analyze, um, human genomes and uh be able to take like different types of samples from a living person and find out 
uh, a lot of things that can be solved through some kind of a biological insert or change. So they'll be able to read um, maybe what some of your dietary habits are and what those could be causing. And they'll be able to analyze uh, your, your past genetic past, uh, like passed down genetic uh, issues that you've had from your family line and perhaps be able to CRISPR fix those or alter them. Um, and I think that analysis is only going to get better once it starts. I think that's that's going to be a revolutionary thing in uh, in, in science and biology when they, they kind of marry in that way. And I think that will be due simply to like straight up computing power in quantum computers. Um, I don't think that's too far off. But yeah, that, that would be my first prediction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my next one is an area I'm less knowledgeable in, so it's probably like a less accurate prediction, but um, I really think like, and I haven't read about this, so maybe this is like an underestimation too, but uh, like Mars colonization, or at least some sort of like um, extraterrestrial colonization of some kind, I think there, I don't know if we'll necessarily be to the point of like, there's people living on Mars, but I think there'll be real concerted and like logical scientific efforts uh, to actually like be making that happen um, at that point and so it may be that like we are preparing for a mission or something by 2100 uh, and it's kind of on the foreseeable horizon of humanity to like be at a place like that interesting yeah you put your timeline like twice as far back as nasa and elon musk and probably jeff bezos so that's (laughs) they they think they're going to do it faster i i don't know where i fall on that I'm, i'm somewhere in between but I hope we get there as soon as possible so we can stop focusing on Earth. It'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm very hopeful for that one. I, I think it'd be a really interesting step forward. Yeah, I think... All right, so spacefaring. Um, you know, I, I'm really hoping that we get to a a better governmental system by somebody finding like a really nice solution and implementing it. And then everyone else seeing the fallout from that and uh, changing their ways. So I'm really hoping that everybody's gonna be so fed up with their governments they have now, which is happening that um, Mm -hmm. some new radical things start getting tried because everybody's afraid from just learning so quickly. Like normally through history, it takes a long time and then a generation dies and the new generation doesn't know or remember what happened. But now mm. just things are happening so fast and the same lessons are being learned like very quickly that I think there will be new things being tried and, and hopefully we will find a new model of living as a society with a, a, a general contract that we've all agreed upon to live together. And that will include having basic human rights and um, also being able to thrive and not worry about uh, getting a bunch of consumerist items and I don't know. I would hope that people wouldn't want to keep over-consuming and getting like these cheap things they throw away quickly that will also change the mindset to have things we care about that last, and maybe there will be uh, different incentives and ways for that to be shared more easily. But I think something will be implemented, hopefully, and I think it will be universal-based income, but I think even further than that, um, there can be like temporary modular shelters or living homes that you can kind of design or put up that can be taken down and passed on. And so everybody can have a home 
Uh, but it just might mean that you're in like the government housing area where you still get to design and build your own home, but because it can be taken down again and used in another way, um, you'll be able to just use that until you're ready to upgrade. So the government allows everybody to have a house and to have different things without needing to like overcommit and build a permanent structure that can't be demolished that uh, is just going to be there forever that's very expensive to, to put together. Like we need to, well, I think we'll start finding these um, better ways to do things and that will help everybody because those people will contribute to society and the economy so yeah i, re- I really like the idea of because uh, we've been talking about technological innovation primarily but innovation on like law and economics is like uh, a, a really great thing to think about because mm-hmm. a lot of the systems we use are so old and like yeah we update them with new laws but that's generally just like it's additional layers on a base, right? We don't like generally like rethink the bottom layer, yeah, <laughs> or look at the lower layers. Um, I have a friend who's really obsessed with the idea of like um, automatically expiring laws and taxes and things like that, where it's like governments are basically forced to be constantly rebuilding themselves because like the everything expires, mm. and so like um, it's kind of like this like everybody. It's always going to be like a reflection of kind of like the most common like current thinking. It's an interesting idea, but um, I I really like your focus on uh, future thoughts. I guess towards like uh, sustainability on like a really macro like society global scale, and like I yeah. think that's an, a problem people will have to think about. And I hope that it's thought about well and really like people come together and see that more wholly. And I think some of the things that stand in the way of that are almost kind of what you described. I mean, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're describing a more globalist or kind of like worldwide government that at least like has some sort of like unification of like these these are human rights and these are things humanity cares about and this is how we're going to be like operate sustainably etc yeah i mean history is so far shown that we're we've been constantly moving in that direction so it just makes sense that we would continue that trend yeah i i definitely i mean i think we talked about it a little bit during the the culture episode but i i definitely believe that we're moving towards a more like single government globalist like merging of countries <laughs> situation though we're seeing a small backstep i guess in that direction right now i also thought it was funny that um <laughs> there, there was some point while you were talking and right as you said, uh, humanity will get to a point where they're like less consumerist, etc. I like as you were saying those words, I got a text that said uh, "new PS5 uh, <laughs> on the shelves in five minutes." <laughs> Dang it! Drop the call. You got Nick has to go. Everyone, episode's over. <laughs> PS5 is ready. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, something fun happened as well. Luckily, I have my other recorder going because Ableton crashed again. But I'm wondering if this is just because I upgraded to Big Sur, and this is it hasn't crashed before I upgraded, and now it has twice. So I think it might have something to do with that. I might have to look into it a little bit. But luckily, I, th- my my handy recorder has been going great, and it has some nice condenser mics in it. So I think we're good. I think we're still good. <laughs> That's that's great. That's really good to hear. And I'm really sad about your Ableton, though uh, I understand. Uh, Ableton 11 is coming out soon. Maybe that'll play better with Big Sur. Who knows? Yeah, usually <laughs> they let you upgrade for a much cheaper price, so I'll have to think about that. Um, yeah. 
yeah for sure. what's your what's your third one do you have anything like really niche or out there mm-hmm. or, or something that maybe would be unpopular let's get spicy <laughs> yeah yeah uh i mean <sighs> i mean i want to make predictions on neuroscience in general like I I do think there will be some more advanced BCI that lets people communicate. Like, I I would like to predict, for example, that cell phones will be replaced by brain computer interfaces in a hundred years, um, and I I I believe in that. I think that'll happen, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you can somehow like project an overlay of your phone screen onto your whatever visual cortex whenever you would normally look at your phone but you can just do it at will and you also like have small retinal implants that can you know record things or like act as small video cameras like there's all sorts of different like tools i think that could like exist and you could like you would still like have an implant or whatever but it's just like so small like maybe the the phone itself or whatever is like in your wrist or like somewhere else and you can uh but then you also have this kind of like Neuralink setup that tethers to it wirelessly through your body like i i think something like that could exist in a hundred years uh wow maybe that's too soon i don't know but uh i mean i don't i don't know why (laughs) not but also yeah there's so many other side things to like philosophically say about that that are really interesting um this is like (laughs) if you you know if you don't you never have your phone off it's always in your head and you can overlay it like will you ever stop using it would you know. ever turn it off maybe the, because it sound it's easy to say yes i would of course because i'm a reasonable human being but then like maybe you know you actually get a phone for the first time and then you never get off of it and you realize that you are just like everyone else uh and i feel like maybe yeah. the same thing would happen <laughs> I, I got a new phone this week and all the settings transferred over perfectly, except for apparently, like, I had, like, a screen time limitation setting for certain apps. Yeah. And that didn't transfer over. And I was looking, I was reviewing my, like, screen time for the week. And for the last two days, I had a phone screen time of six and a half hours. Yeah. And I'm... that was just because the that setting got turned off. Like, that's messed up, man. I have no control, apparently. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I tried to set that and turned it off after I didn't like that it was on. And I, I've had worse than six hours. I've, <laughs> yeah. I'm not not proud of my screen time some in certain cases. But I don't know. You just, you know, you're really into something for a short amount of time. Or, or you're using your phone for a specific task. And you just don't want to stop. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's hard to, like, regulate when it's good usage and when it's bad usage, right? Because, like, pick a given app, and there's many times I've used that app productively, but I can oftentimes use that same app in a very, like, non-productive and, like, negative way. That's true. <laughs> like, and so it's like, okay, screen time on this specific app isn't necessarily good. I wonder if I could, like, somehow... So I actually talked to this guy today. He tried to pitch me his, his technology. Um, he's making a device to measure, like, mental workload. So it's like a little, you you attach it to the side of your glasses or you can stick it to your like temple and it measures like your cognitive workload. And I wonder if you could somehow like sync that a device like that with your phone and you're like, okay, like I only want to be able to use this app if I actually have like a very engaged brain. But mm. if I have this kind of like lazy, like uh, just like consumerist 
passive consumption of content brain, then no, do not let me use this app. Wow, how accurate is that thing? I'm that's not not very accurate. I'm, I hate to spoil it, but it's not very good. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't have asked. I kind of <laughs> I guess I already knew the answer to that question, but I still I was hoping there was some deep part of me that was like it's super accurate and you can buy one right now. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> but luckily you're not uh, Doctor Phil or or all those those uh, Insta Cell marketers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it could be more accurate if you were willing to wear a bigger device on your head. So yeah, if you if you wanted to wear like a whole headband, you could probably it could probably be. I just imagined like the top hat with all the electronics inside of it, and like of course they're so big (laughs) that in order to have the whole computer, you have to wear a top hat. So if you see anybody wearing a top hat, it's not because they like the 1800s; it's because they have some weird brain reading software going on, (laughs) and they have a desktop PC just sitting on top of their head. Yeah, and there's a little solar panel on the top, but that solar panel only like makes this other battery to read that your computer's going to shut off. And of course that's dangerous. That so tells you to go home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a fun prediction in, in a yeah. weird way. In it's a scary, scary, kind of weird, scary way, but yeah, it is fun. I, I really like imagining like you, you get the new iPhone or something and it's like, just like this really sexy little chip. They just like, slip through a single like slit in your arm and it's like you put a band-aid over it and you're like bam that's my new phone Mm -hmm. i I think that's nice (laughs) that does sound nice so you've got that that prediction my my third more out there prediction which i actually think will happen is that uh human beings will move in into the ocean and live under the water i think we actually will do that and one of the reasons i think that we'll do that is because i think people are done being governed and being above ground so there's there's a certain personality type of people that are just very polarized and angry about things and uh not accepting of the societies that they live in and i think the appeal of being able to kind of start your own commune or whatever that just disappears from the world you like you can just buy this kind of part of an underground city or whatever that's self-sustainable uh and go put it wherever you want you can float around with it maybe even and move around in the ocean um I think many people will jump on that bandwagon and I, I think that there will be kind of pseudo towns or maybe even cities that, that will crop up in the ocean in the not too too distant future. Interesting. So we'll be both on Mars and under the ocean. And this is this is consistent also because people say exploring space is just as hard as exploring the ocean on Earth. So yeah. if we're hitting both of those at the same time, that, that sounds right. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Well, I think we'll be alive to see that too. So there's something to look forward to. <laughs> this almost sounds like you're you're hinting at the fact that you're going to be the one to bring this about. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> so you don't lose on your prediction. <laughs> if anybody knows where the GPS coordinates are specifically of like, you know, my and Nick's birthday put together or minus uh, our, favorite, <laughs> our favorite location that we eat at on Thursdays when we were 14... You can meet us there at six o'clock in, in, the ocean. in 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I, that's, I think that's a pretty good place to end, actually. I think we covered a lot of nice future things, and we told everyone what's coming, obviously. So oh, yeah. quote us. Those are, those are the six things you got to watch out for or, or 
be excited yeah, about. Yeah, be excited about. That's the future. <laughs> the future is governments fixing themselves and then everyone running away under the ocean. <laughs> my, my predictions are weird. They're, they're a little contradictory. Oh. <laughs>